Welcome to Preserving Valor, a podcast dedicated to saving the personal stories of veterans. My name is Jay Vissers. This is the first episode in the story of U.S. Army veteran Brian Vissers. This season holds special significance for me because Brian is my father's older brother. My Uncle Brian served in both Vietnam and Germany between the years of 1968 and 1974. From then, he served in the National Guard until 1995. In this episode, we'll hear about what led him to joining the Army in the beginning of his training. was born in Grand Rapids at St. Mary's Hospital, September 27, 1948, to Mildred and Glenn Vissers. At the time, uh, Dad had just been out of the service, I think maybe two years, three years, three years. So he was still farming at the time. And shortly after that, he started working for Consumers Power Company and retired from there. Mom was a housekeeper, home, homemaker. Later, after us kids were, were grown, she started working outside the home. Biggest job, longest job was at Grand Valley State University. And you have two younger siblings, right? I have uh, Joni, who is four years younger than me, and Phil, your dad, six years younger than me. And then, of course, my parents were born during the time when there were large families, so there was bunches and bunches of cousins. And did your siblings serve in the military? No. Joni, obviously, because she was she's a female. Mm-hmm. And your dad fell, we used to call them tweeners. He fell between conscriptions, between conflicts. Then he and I had some long talks about that. He really felt, he, he, he felt guilty in a way because he hadn't served because of our family history. And uh, I kept telling him, no, you, there was no need for you to serve at the time, so don't worry about it. But that was hard for him to accept. The draft was active at the time. But Brian joined the Army voluntarily, as evidenced by his serial number. My original serial number was RA6801162, and RA meant regular Army. Mm -hmm. If you were drafted, uh, you had a U.S. number. If you were activated from the National Guard, you had an ING number. Brian's mom did not appreciate his decision to leave college and join the Army. She was not at all enamored. My mother had expectations of all three of us kids, and and my being in the military did not fit that expectation. Interesting side story, when I graduated from officer candidate school, if the infantry school knew, knew how to do anything, 
They knew how to put on what we call the dog and pony show. They understood how to put on a really high level ceremony. And um, when that graduation ceremony was done, dad obviously was impressed. And I think that changed grandma's, my mom's feeling about what I was doing because now I was an officer and that was good stuff. I don't think she understood what it meant, but. Brian's dad, on the other hand, had mixed feelings about his decision to join the army. He was proud of me, but he had some serious reservations because of what he did in the military. He was an airfield corpsman uh, in North Africa, Sicily, and Italy. He, his job, of course, was to take the bodies out of the out of the aircraft and to put the airmen back together enough so that they could get to the evac hospital alive. And that's that was the picture that was in his mind when I told him that I wanted to join in. He was emotional about it, but he was also proud of the fact that I was going to serve, knowing full well that the likelihood I'd end up in Vietnam was was pretty sure. And what led to you deciding to join up? I think a lot of it was our family history. And I already mentioned dad's service in World War II. I had two cousins, three cousins in service after that. I remember listening to them talk about their time in the military. Arlen was, was in the army in Germany and uh, Stan was in the Air Force in, in uh, Greenland. And I, I remember talking with them and listening to them. And I literally hung on everything they said. I, I just was fascinated by the stuff that they told me about the military. So I had that as a background. And then when it came my turn, I had lost a scholarship at Hope College. I wasn't doing that well academically at Grand Valley State. And all of that was largely due to immaturity. And I thought, you know what? If I'm going to make anything in life, I've got to take a break. And the best place for me to take a break is the Army. And uh, they may teach me a little, little discipline, which they did. Having a little foreknowledge offered to me by my father, I pressed my uncle for what had happened at Hope College. I spent too much time at the card table, I guess is the best way to put it. <laughs> Shit. Uh, it, when I, in, in the service, I could outplay anybody at Hearts or Euchre. There was, that was, that was my major at Hope College. Did you leave behind any pets when you joined up? If you consider a 1964 Chevy SS convertible a pet, I left that behind. That was a car. I had a 56 Mercury Monterey convertible, and I sold that to a friend of mine. I had the the vehicle set in a garage for 10 years, and I refurbished it. Sold that to a friend of mine and bought this Chevy. And at the time I bought it, that Chevy had not and I knew the history behind it because I knew the original owner. That Chevy had not been on a gravel road, period. 
we lived on a gravel road. I'll tell you, we did not go over 15 miles an hour. That was a nice car. It had a 327 with a Rochester four barrel. And let's just say there was nobody that could get to, from Allendale to Standale faster than me. Why did you choose the army over the other branches of the military? Quite literally, in the federal building in Grand Rapids, they housed the recruiting offices. And when you walked into the building and you turned to go down that hallway that had the recruiting officers, the Army was the first door. It could have been any of them? Could have been any of them. I just walked in. There is a bit of a backstory there. A very good friend of mine, my best friend in high school, had enough sense to join the Army right out of high school. And he took, beginning of my career track was the career track that he chose. And I liked what Gary was doing. So I ended up asking the Army recruiter about that. And when I took the ASFAB, that's the aptitude test for the military, I had a real high score in languages which gave me the background and the qualifications to get into the Army Security Agency. The Army Security Agency was the Army's Signals Intelligence Branch from 1945 to 1976. The first unit of the ASA was stationed in South Vietnam. The ASA was known for its secrecy with We Weren't Here being an unofficial motto of the agency. And even though each, I didn't find this out till later, but each branch had a security agency. The Army Security Agency was the only one I knew about because of my friend. So I decided to go that route. My initial point of entry was the MEB station in Detroit, Military Entrance and Processing Station. How'd you get there? I took a bus from the recruiting office in Grand Rapids. Uh, Mom and Dad took me up there. Uh, it was in the evening, got on the bus, got to Detroit. Uh, must have been about midnight. They assigned us bunks uh, in this big gymnasium. And the next morning we got up and we started processing. A note about the maps in Detroit. At the time, it was right downtown. It was on the corner of Bobian and Brush. It was right by the first precinct of uh, Detroit Police Department. And it was the nastiest part of Detroit. I remember um, after we processed, we ended up at an upper story to bunk that night. And uh, looking down at the street and watching a couple guys break into a car yeah, it was an experience. So that's kind of an interesting part there. This old farm boy had his eyes open. But then from there, I went to uh, Fort Leonard Wood. First time I ever flew, we flew on a 727. I sat next to him, befriended a guy from uh, MSU. He was on the, on the 
basketball team. He was, uh, and he was a teammate of, of Wilt the Stilt. Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain, a 7-1 basketball legend, is renowned for being the only NBA player to score 100 points in a single game. With a career spanning 14 years, he left an indelible mark on the sport, earning two NBA championships and four MVP titles. We kept track of each other all the way through basic, but I remember that aircraft was, boy, that was an experience. I'd never been on anything that big, never been off the ground, or at least any higher than the beams in the barn back on the farm. So that was an experience. Brian went to basic training starting on January 5, 1968. So I went through basic training at Fort Leonard Wood in January, February. And if anybody tells you that Missouri is a warm state, don't believe them. Man, we, I would, I learned the trick of sleeping at night with my canteen inside my, my uh, sleeping bag. So it wouldn't freeze because if you didn't, if you didn't do that, it'd freeze solid. We did eight weeks at Fort Leonard Wood. My dad gave me a piece of advice when I left for the service. He said, Brian, I want to tell you to do two things and you'll get along fine. First of all, don't volunteer for anything. Secondly, get to know the supply sergeant and the mess sergeant. And uh, he said, if you do those two things, you'll get along just fine. First of all, background growing up on the on the farm, we did an awful lot of hunting. And so dealing with a firearm, knowing how to shoot, was just second nature for me. I got into basic training, and a fourth week we started firearms training, shot marksmanship. And uh, early on, the, the instructors realized that I was a good enough shot. They took me offline and had me training other trainees and giving them tips and pointers on how to shoot better and so on. So that was kind of a plus. And, and I ended up shooting uh, expert marksmanship and all the experts uh, got a weekend pass while we were done shooting at the end of the week. So I had a pass that got me out of out of uh, KP. Then the week after that pass, a buddy of mine from Tennessee and I were sitting in the barracks and we were in Quonset huts at the time uh, and Fort Leonard Wood. And the first sergeant came in and he said, either you boys know how to type? And like a big dummy, I said, I know how to type. <laughs> and my buddy said the same thing. He's good, come with me. We went with him down to the orderly room, which is the company headquarters. There was an IG inspection coming up and he wanted, back in those days, there was no such thing as a copy machine. You had mimeographs and he had us retype every single master or mimeograph master in the company. And so we did all that and it took us, well, let me think now, we were still shooting. So it must've been before that. Anyway, I got a weekend pass as a reward for that. 
and I missed KP again. Oh, I know what it was. We we did that duty all weekend. And I missed KP the second weekend. Third weekend, he rewarded us with a pass. I missed KP again. And then the the last weekend that I missed KP was my grandfather's funeral. Grandma wanted the oldest son from each family to be pallbearers. And I was the oldest son, of course, and and my dad, having his military background, had to pull some strings with the Red Cross. So he called the Red Cross and said, this is the situation. I'd like my son home on emergency leave. So that weekend, and to make a long story short, out of that whole eight weeks, I only pulled KP once. And and that was early on. So down there, um, went to um, Defense Language Institute, West Coast. Now, Coming out of Missouri in February, 1st of March, it was real cold. And I went from basic training to Monterey, California. And the shock was considerable. But I spent a year in Monterey learning uh, Vietnamese. I had put, they gave me my choice of languages and my first choice was Russian. My second choice was German. And I figured if I didn't get my first or second choice, they were going to send me to Vietnam anyway. So third choice was Vietnamese. And of course, I got Vietnamese. So we spent a year there. And that's where I met, uh, that's where I met Esther. Esther is Brian's wife of 54 years. We met just a few blocks off post, there was a Baptist church, First Baptist Church in Monterey. And uh, I had been going there, and there was a, a group. It was a college and professionals, so that entailed the, the military people, the young professionals that were still going there uh, and single, and the, the students at uh, Monterey Community College. And uh, so that was, we were a pretty tight group. I guess you could call us like a Sunday school group. And we socialized together and, and uh, so that's how I met her. She, she was a cute little pixie in the alto section and I was in the bass section at the church choir. Do any of your instructors from your time in all these classes stand out to you? Oh, the significance of this next statement is that I spent 24 years at the Sheriff's Department. There was only one man in my entire life that I truly, truly feared, and that was my senior drill instructor, Master Sergeant Grimes. He stood about uh, maybe five, six, if that. 115, 120 pounds, maybe, black. And I feared that man like I've never feared anybody that I've ever met before or after. He could have told me to jump to the top of the tree and out of abject fear, I would have done it. But he was impressive and I, I, 
his military bearing, his unwillingness to put up with garbage behavior, his uh, everything about him left an impression on me. And I thought if I could only be half the soldier of that man, I would have a successful time. But yeah, he's the one that stood out. After basic training, everyone goes to a specialty school. There's a, a term MOS, Military Occupational Specialty. And all the MOSs in the Army have a number and have an alphanumeric code. You have to go through all oh, the term escapes me right now. Anyway, it's it's a school to learn that MOS. If you're a medic, you went to Fort Hood. If you were infantry, you went to Fort Benning. If you were artillery, you went to Fort Sill. I was language, so I went to the Defense Language Institute West Coast in Monterey, California. The Defense Language Institute was established in secret during 1941 as the Military Intelligence Service Language School to teach soldiers the Japanese language. After World War II, it was renamed the Army Language School and expanded its curriculum to include more than 30 languages. In 1963, it was designated the Defense Language Institute. And uh, so that's, that's where I spent my next part but I was more than just an interpreter. I was also a radio intercept operator. So the second part of my training was at San Angelo Air Force Base in Texas. And you're probably wondering where in the world is that? And that's precisely why the training was located there. San Angelo Air Force Base had one aircraft. It was a C-47. It was a weather aircraft and a very small base and very few people knew about it. Goodfellow Air Force Base in San Angelo, Texas became a key intelligence and cryptologic training center in the 1960s, expanding its operations to include joint service training for other branches of the military. To get into where I had my training, I went through an outer gate, had to show my ID, I had a special pass, went through a second gate, again showing my ID, went into a building at the entrance of which you showed your ID for the third time, and then once in the building, you went to a special room, which was about the size of a small gymnasium and you you had to show your pass there and at each one of those checkpoints there were at least two mps mm -hmm. and they made no mistake about it they had loaded firearms and they would shoot um, to drop somebody if they tried to breach the security of the place i had a top secret crypto uh, security clearance uh, while i was there i had an accident in the swimming pool and uh, had to go into the hospital by ambulance and they took x-rays of my neck and, and uh, sutured up my, my head. And because of the training that we were in, um, the doc couldn't do anything to me until an officer came in to the room 
that had an equal clearance to mine and could monitor everything that was said and asked. So it was, it was pretty serious business. In, in my medical files, when you opened up my medical folder, right in the very t was a big red card that let the doctor know that they could go no further without that security person being in the emergency room. And if it, it was something that required operation, they went into the OR with you as well. So it was, they were pretty serious about it. About halfway through that school, I had an opportunity uh, to go to officer candidate school. I was called in to the for lack of a better term, recruiter's office. And this sergeant sat me down and said, you know, you qualify for officer candidate school. Uh, is that something you would like to do? So we talked about it and I said, yeah, I said, probably. And, and he said, the thing is, we were gonna ask you either to do that or to re-enlist for six years. And I said, oh, Okay, I don't know as I want to do that. And he said, well, don't tell anybody, but here's the deal. If you re-enlist for six years, you get a re-enlistment bonus. And because we had such a high variable re-enlistment bonus score, we got the maximum re-enlistment, which was $10,000. And uh, he said, then if you go through OCS, when you get done with OCS, you're discharged. You don't have to pay the 10 grand back. And you're then an hour later, you're sworn in as an officer. And I thought about that for a while. And I thought, that's cheating. To do knowing what I'm going to do. No, I can't do that. My sense of morals, I guess, was too high for me to do that. So I gave away the $10,000. I, I've often thought about that. Um, but my conclusion is always the same. That was the right thing. So Brian decided to go to officer candidate school at Fort Benning, Georgia. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Preserving Valor. If you're enjoying Brian's story, please consider subscribing and sharing Preserving Valor with your friends. Support from listeners like you is key to the continuation of our mission. Join us next time to continue with Brian Visser's story. And as always, a huge thank you to Brian and the veterans who served alongside of him.